Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Comic Spotlight, the show where we do a deep dive into an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. So uh, today's show, Jack is back. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. Good so to be good back. To, it's good to see you. You've been busy with uh, your back to the filmography, and that's been I have, going really well. Get me away, but um, yeah, this is a pleasure to be back doing this again. It's, it's exciting. And so today's episode is a is a, was recommended by you. Mm. You were like, "Hey, have you heard it?" Like you said it. What I loved about it in our conversation, I think it was just written, and you were like mentioned it as though, of course, you've heard of this. <laughs> and it's funny because in theory, it's like Tintin. I should mm-hmm. have heard of this, but unlike Tintin, in a, I've never heard of this. So. No. Tell everybody what it is and give everybody your history with it. Because my history is in the last 30 days, I've read this. (laughs) (laughs) So I was with my youngest at the library, um, what, a couple of months ago now, probably. We were pottering around and I was finding some things for him to read. And I was like, oh, what? I've got asterisks here at the library. Um, So I dashed over and I had the first two issues, volumes. I'm not really sure what you call these. Yeah, because they're not quite volumes like we think in in current mm. volumes where it's like five or six but they're like 50 60 page independent stories they are yeah, yeah. i mean i guess when you're doing it for yourself you do it however the hell you however want, you want. yeah <laughs> so yeah i grabbed the first couple of those and i was really excited and i think i messaged you and rim and said like oh look what i've got um and yeah your interaction was what's that yeah <laughs> which did surprise me i think because i guess i'd sometimes forget about the big bit of water that's between us yeah and what might not travel all the way across to you in either way yeah yeah and the same back i think probably because this is a what a french belgian french mm-hmm. french is that they call french it a belgian? franco franco belgian is what yeah, the, yeah franco belgian yeah, yeah yeah um i did see a term for it when i was like doing a bit of you know you know me minimal yeah. research for uh for today uh, what was it bande dessinée bande dessinée which i thought was a nice little term yeah. Which I think means the same thing, basically. In one of um, those languages that we don't speak. How's your French? Absolutely, of course. Uh, GCSE C grade. Okay. Well, a lot of years ago. Nice. I never, I took German, <laughs> so I got nothing. Yeah. So 20, yeah. Plus 25 years of being very <laughs> average at it. <laughs> nice. So it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I think, yeah, so I was really excited. So I picked them up and was like, because it's a childhood thing for me. It's tapping into my childhood a lot of the guys you talk to and you hear their backstories uh, from here, from, from England, will be the Beano and the Dandy. You'll get some Roy the Rovers, I think. If, I think I've spoken about that more than others. Yeah. But, you know, these kind of comics. And for me, this is another one from that era, really, where I didn't know I was reading a comic. I was just reading this because I really enjoyed it. It's more than likely my granddad put it in my hands to begin with because he used to buy me Beanos and Dandies and give those to me as well. But I loved it as a kid i just thought it was irreverent without knowing what that word meant and funny and silly and we'll get into it i guess in terms of the humor i think it's paved the way for me for a lot of what i consider funny now in in comedy i think because these are definitely written to be a humorous first and foremost yeah and subversive humor too Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, some of it is, and it's layered because there's mm, here's mm -hmm. the fart joke, but then there's also this under like there's this. I once you clear the air of the fart, there's something else still there. Mm. Yeah. Which I I appreciate. I think, I think that's hard to do. 
I think it's yeah. one of those things where I suspect your grandpa knew that. Obviously, when he gave it to you, he's like, this is totally acceptable for children. Like mm. later this summer, your sister and I are going to do Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing where like I had no problem letting my kids read Calvin and Hobbes. Mm. But I also know how smart Calvin and Hobbes is and how it's for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the same. So your yeah. grandpa probably was laughing his ass off, handing it to you, like not realizing <laughs> all the cool stuff he was teaching you without actually teaching you a thing. Oh, knowing him, he probably was hoping that was going to be the case, actually. Yeah. Um, and I've already mentioned to my oldest, he's going to be 10 fairly soon. So I was like, I think you're going to, I think you'll like these. So it might be something I end up investing in, I think. And you can get them, I think, in what you've read, digitally, I assume, you yeah. can get them here the same, like with each three like issues, comics collected together at, and they're called volume. So yeah. Yeah. The yeah. paper cuts is the company that's putting them together in America. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're the British owners too, but I'm paper sure. cuts, they do that. They like take stuff that's sort of out of print or mm-hmm. um, dip st- stuff from different, th- like their whole, their whole um, thesis at paper cuts is we just want to keep good stuff in print. Like we want, mm-hmm. we right. don't want this stuff to die. So they're not necessarily making a ton of new stuff at paper cuts. Mm-hmm. They have some, but mostly they're just trying to preserve things because when you repackage something, you get a new copyright on it. You get a new sense of, um, you know, you're getting, it seems new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. reader, you know, like it's out now and you're like, Oh, have you ever heard of this? And so, to someone who's seeing it now in 2022, mm. who gets a hand of the hold of the paper cuts one, it's new to them. Yeah, sure. I mean, let's be fair. When I'm reading it, it's already 30 years old. So right. it wasn't you when I got it in my hand. Exactly. Either. Right. Yeah. Because it was originally published in 1959 in France mm. in Pilot Magazine, Pilote Magazine. And then they started translating it into English in 1969. Mm-hmm. So by the time yeah. you were getting it, yeah, it had been only yeah. in an English translation first, not that long. No. And I think that's something, I don't know how much, how in much depth we might go into that. I think sometimes when things are translated, and I've read a few novels and things, they lose it somewhere. Yeah. Something's not, but here, and I, I, know, I know it's widely celebrated as being one of the best examples of this, that the, they managed to really bring the humor across through the translations. And I think pretty much it's been the same couple of people that have done it for the last what what was it you say 70 so what 50 years it's been the same couple of people i think doing it for that time yeah, they, anitha bell and derek uh Hockridge did the translations from 61 to 2013 and then bell continued on to 2016 so the initial run was the same person that's amazing uh, yeah anitha bell was the translator and i think it's an art form i actually mm. met someone once when i was at my mfa program who earned uh, it was my first in real life meeting someone who had won an Eisner Award. Mm. Um, and that person, they won it for uh, translation. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And it was, uh, and they That's said that it was um, a really, it was nerve wracking because it was some Argentinian comic that was a big deal there and bringing it to America. And they were like, mm. I don't know if I can do it justice. And then they're like, Eisner. It's a lot. It's a lot of weight because this, especially with something that's super popular. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, a lot I of mean, times we just remake it and then we screw it up. Yeah. I mean, in France, this is, you know, this is theme park big. There's an asterisk theme park in France. So, yeah, yeah. this is The amount of movies massive. that have been made and everything, yeah. I had no idea. I, yeah, asterisk is clearly bigger than Tintin in France. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And we'll obviously need to talk about that because, you know, Blake and I are still working out. We're going to start doing some Tintin. Mm. And I, it'll be really fun. I'm glad I've read Asterix now because Asterix originally appeared in Tintin magazine. That's right. Too. Yeah. So it was part of, of that, like 
it was appealing to the same audience, but it's mm-hmm. so different. Well, so, and I, and I, maybe I'm going to, you know, when you and Blake come to do it, I'm going to have to delve in because for me, that's a black hole tinted. I've never really yeah. been that into it. And I wonder if it's a, if, if it's a human thing, maybe. Mm. Tintin is like adventure, isn't it? Whereas yeah, this yeah. is, is comedy. And that's why I think the translation here is, is worth celebrating so much because we know comedy is all in the timing mm-hmm. and languages move at different rhythms and paces and different words. And so, yeah, I think it yeah. really... Yes, I agree. Tintin has comic relief, has mm-hmm. comic... The, the brothers that in the film, uh, Nick and Simon played. Mm. Is it Tom- the Thompson twins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're really funny. Um and obviously Nick and Simon voicing them makes it even better because, mm. you know, you, you know, they're just in there and probably pissing the animators off. They're like, read the lines. <laughs> um, Spielberg knew what he was. I mean, he didn't pick them as a joke. I mean, he knew what was going to happen when he hired them without a doubt, but they're the comic relief. There's comic relief where this is like played for laughs. Yeah. This is supposed to be funny. Um, and I do think you're right. There's not all comedy I, I don't know, especially when you get older too. That's what I appreciate about the cleverness of this writing is because mm-hmm. as you get older, the things that you thought were, this is my problem with Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to everybody and to you, my friend, but I don't like it now. I don't think it holds up. I don't think it's funny. I loved that movie as a kid. I saw it in the theater. I saw it with my dad, which was rare. So I know that was part of it. Mm-hmm. I know that's part of it, but he loved it too. And so it was like there was an experience seeing Ghostbusters in the theater with your dad. You're like, oh, my God, it was so cool. Don't cross the streams. It was awesome. And then, you know, in hindsight, you're like, oh, that was objectively offensive in some ways. (laughs) You know, Ernie Hudson went to the same high school as my dad. Like they didn't go together. But so there was that, you know, like, oh, this is all, you know, there's this whole cool thing. And then so you go into it. And then when you watch it again, you're like, he's hardly in it. You forget that because, again, then you'd watch the cartoons, you know, the so the real Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters. And mm-hmm. so like that humor doesn't always translate well either. And so I'm just so amazed at how funny this holds. This holds up something that's 60 yeah. years old is still funny. So you talked about the pace and the language. And, and do you think that's what it is? It's just the way that it's written that makes the jokes hold up. Or is it because it's what it's about? I would say it's a combination. I think the ahistoric nature of it is very clever um, that they're, they're tapping into stuff that we know, but they're going to do it in their own way. I think mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. I think that each individual story doesn't really have a plot. Let's be honest. There's like kind of one, one thing that needs to drive it forward. There's a MacGuffin in each one. Yeah. And then the rest of it is just like slapstick and silliness. And as you said, like, sight gags and things in the background of panels um and of just i guess the one thing that people might get offended by is the broadness of stereotypes of cultural stereotypes but i think it's done in a safe way here not not a homogenized not like a a sanitized way but a safe way in that i think even somebody who is italian or french or german or later on british as they, as all these, I think you kind of just laugh with the joke. I, I think you should. I mean, if you go in saying, oh, satire, but mm-hmm. as we know, satire offends people all the time. Like mm-hmm. I still, I taught, I don't know if you've ever made your kids read and I would be fascinated when you, they're probably too young, but if you move up, um, do you ever, uh, a, a simple proposal uh, by um, 
A modest proposal, sorry, by Jonathan Swift. No, no. And it's his, it's his solution to the population problem in Ireland is to eat babies. Oh, okay. And of course, it's funny as hell, but I've had people, <laughs> I've, I've made my students read that in the past. And obviously he was not Catholic. He was, he was Protestant Irish. And so he's making a commentary on the Catholic church and their absurdness. And it's Jonathan Swift. I mean, he was, he did not write children's stories. He was really writing stuff. But people remember Gulliver's Travels and they think it's a children's story. But again, so I think satire can super offend people because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's somebody eating babies in this. But they're not. There's nobody's really eating babies. And so in this, those racial, cultural stereotypes, mm-hmm. I think he, they undo it really well in a lot of ways. And I think especially in the Gosselin, which is my favorite of the three. Definitely. Um, where the, you know, there's that arbitrariness of borders and everything. So yeah, obviously mm. I've got I've got some thoughts on that. So we've just talked around it for 15 minutes. Maybe we should <laughs> explain to everybody what this is. So I will give the the um, the stuff about who the people are, and then mm. you can kind of give us a, a summary. So um, the writers were, and I'm going to say their names wrong. Julian, I should have called Julian and said, "How do mm. I say these names?" He's the person I know who speaks French. Um, Rene Goskini. Uh, is the writer from 1959 to 1977 upon his untimely death. I mean, man, it always pisses you off when somebody's like bringing his A game and then just mm-hmm. dies suddenly. That's some bullshit. And then um, Alberto Darzo, who was the initial artist and then took over writing duties upon Renee's death until 2009. Yeah. So this is their baby. This is mm. them. So Renee and Albert, that's who were, they did obviously everything that we're reading here. There's been a few other writers and they're still actually from 2013 to present, Paper Cuts is still putting them yeah. out. Um, and in the back of my edition, the digital edition, they actually have a, a little clip from the new, like a little sneak mm. peek of the newest oh, cool. edition in the back. I was like, wow, it's pretty, it's a love letter mm. while also being, um, you know, it's a, its own thing because mm-hmm. it's hard to play in someone else's sandbox. Yeah, so sure. those are the writers and creators. And like, as we said, they were a team from before. They're kind of like an old school comedy duo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had written in other stuff and they had written for Tintin magazine and Pilot magazine. And then this is became their bread and butter. So mm. tell everybody what it's about. So Asterix is the main character ostensibly, and he's a small diminutive in stature, but cunning and clever and sly and intelligence gaulish villager i suppose his best friend's obelix he's tall and brig i guess we're thinking george and lenny here maybe of my 100 yeah yeah um friendship and they live in this little tiny village at the top end of gaulish france and they're the only area that has not been invaded by the romans and the reason they've not been invaded and overtaken is because their druid is able to brew a special magic potion which gives them superhuman strength and speed uh, for a limited amount of time except for Oblix who fell in a vat fell in a cauldron when he was a baby which we get told several times every comic which I find hilarious every yeah. time because he's even, always asking for more forgets. potions right yeah <laughs> always asking for more oh, can I just have some no Oblix remember you fell in the cauldron so he has a permanent sense of strength which belies his kind of oafishness is the way I sort of think of yeah it. yeah and then, yeah, as you said, we get like a MacGuffin, we get a random plot thread for each uh, tale, each comic, each issue, which drives it forward. But really, it's just a chance for those two to go around going on some zany adventures. 
I think that's exactly right. And so the cool, I've only read these three, but I will definitely mm -hmm. be reading more because it's obvious like it can go in perpetuity. And I did read that eventually they got to the point where they would say like this volume, they're going to be in the village of Gaul and then this mm. volume they'll go on the road. So it wasn't, you know, but the MacGuffin is still just a MacGuffin. -y. Their whole thing is um, protecting themselves from the Romans. Mm. And so mm -hmm. the Romans definitely um, historically justifiably have had a bad rap because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is, takes place in 50 yeah 50 yeah 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 so um you heard that right people 50 everybody knows everything <laughs> about that part of of world history 50 um and you said eventually the british show up yes they do yeah yeah as and they're, they're lampooned in just the same way as everyone yeah. else of course well i are. feel like the bard character is already mm -hmm. i mean the what's his name um Cacophonics. Cacophonics. What a name. Oh, man. We have to get into the names. I've been I've marked yeah. a few pages because some of the names in these comics are just fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 um, the magic guy, the druid, is uh, Panoramics. And then the chief majestic is Vital Stastics. And then yeah, sure. uh, Cacophonics. Yeah. And they all have these names that are just right on the nose. With that, yeah, with, with the suffix, isn't it? Will it yeah, it, yeah, and then you, when you get into some of the Roman names, they're amazing. Your druid might be named different. Getafix. Panoramics is mine. Oh wow, okay, it's different wow. version. Huh? Because obviously, Getafix, Getafix of potion. Right. Panorama. Oh, mm. that's funny. Mm. Translations, American translations. They don't think we can get it. We had to rename. <laughs> we had to rename it the Golden Compass because we couldn't understand Northern Lights, and then we had to. And you don't know it. what philosopher, philosopher is. We either. had to call it the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes. <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating. I actually read a book a while back called The Prodigal Tongue. I may have told you about this about a, a, an American woman who teaches English over there, and uh, so she wrote a book about the way English is used. And when she gave her daughter, who's a British kid, but she's American, Nancy Drew books, mm. they. Um, they changed all the things. So in that it was still an elevator instead of a lift and like all of the American words, but they still said mass. Oh, okay. okay. And yeah, she's yeah. like, cause for whatever reason, she, the British publishers must've thought that would blow their minds. <laughs> like they could deal with elevator over lift, all the other words that we use that are different, but that one in the Nancy Drew translation, the tr you know, a British version, it stills mass. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can handle it. Like when I see maths, I'm not like, I don't know what you're mean. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny that the, that the words change. I wonder, that is really fascinating. I wish we had talked about that in advance because maybe we can mm. dig into that. But anyway, um, so that is totally the plot. So mm -hmm. the three stories we deal with are like their introductory story, just yeah. Paul, right? The second one is the golden um, sickle. sickle. And the third one is, and the Goths. And they're mm. not those Goths that you're thinking of. <laughs> Although, like, I want that. I want there to be some emo kids in the background and I would love for there to be an updated version where it's Asterix and the goth and he like runs into some emo kids at the mall. That's would, definitely that that must exist somewhere in like a cartoon or a, <laughs> one of the one of the movie translations that must be out there. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't because that would be again, that's the whole. So each of these things, like you said, there's not really a plot. But there's a running commentary on mm culture mm -hmm. so the the overarching plot is the comment like the romans for those of you who don't know um also you learn some latin yes you do yeah yeah which is really impressive how many roman numerals if you don't know them 
Right. I mean, if you if you learned all your Roman numerals from Rocky, then you should be OK. But <laughs> if you didn't pay attention to Rocky films, you can learn your Roman numerals. You can learn some Latin, which I really appreciate because um, there's the Romans speak in Latin and then we get the translation. Mm-hmm. at the bottom in the footnote it's always very clever um but this is really just about uh cultural differences cultural appropriation and most importantly and the thing the reason i think the goss lands it because they, mm. they visualize it it's about borders mm-hmm. and this idea of of who is what now mm. you are, live on an island I so do. your borders are a little bit easier focused but <laughs> my, my first question to you is living on the island on which you live um, um, sorry, I didn't mean to say on on there twice. Um, you still have countries within your country, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The United Kingdom. And that's there's a line in the second season of Tad Lasso is how many countries are in this country? Because <laughs> um, he didn't understand that. There is, though, right? So what uh, you are in a very unique because, again, obviously, there's states lines in, in, in mm. the United States and there's definitely different cultures in different states and whatever. But we don't have like I didn't move to Florida and suddenly we're going to be like I'm going to read for University of Florida. No, mm. I'm not going to do that. I don't care. I still think there are a bunch of mouth breathing idiots who play there, so I don't care. Like I prefer schools that have high academic standards. I always will. So I wasn't going to instantly like wear a Florida flag or anything. Um, it's different for you guys, I think, right? Mm. Because you are the United Kingdom, but you have specific countries. So. Did this, even though this isn't about the UK, you live in a really unique situation. So mm-hmm. I was curious as you're reading this, was it relatable? Like, is there that line between like Wales and England where it's like, oh, they're Welsh? That's what I always yeah. think of the Welsh getting shit on. There, there definitely is. There's that sense of like national pride, isn't there? And that sense of, and it always comes out in sport, doesn't it? That sense of like allegiance. Then, of course, when it comes to Olympics and my Britain, everyone's all, all friendly again. Um, <laughs> But I mean, having having obviously driven over borders and flown over borders, I mean, it's not something I think I'm personally consciously aware of, really. Um, and also, you know, I've lived in the South England my whole life. My dad is from the North England. My mum is Scottish. So I suppose, you know, for me, there's always been a little bit of a, of a mixture. My heritage is previously Ireland, um, considering my surname. So... Yeah, I mean, I think we're. I think some people really care about the borders, I suppose. Um, and I think there's definitely, yeah, there's some fun commentary. And as you said, definitely in, in the goss, it gets to some hilarious places with that poor one centurion who's stuck oh. on the border, um, getting mistreated by his senior officer. But it's a fantastic running joke. It is. It is a good, and it was a good callback. It didn't get old. No, absolutely not. Yeah, so yeah. He keeps rep- reporting back to the senior officer, doesn't he? They're, they're getting either people are fleeing Gaul to Germania. Germania, I think it's called. Yeah. Or, you know, it's meant to be German, obviously. Um, or back. But he's always saying, well, the, the Germans are going back to Germany or the Gauls are coming back into Gaul. And he's like, stop saying this. It can't be true. An invasion right. is only the other way around. <laughs> it's a great joke. <laughs> it is a great gag. I loved it. Um, well, I just always was curious, though, because for me, it's like, I remember one time, I said something in the discord and mm. Matt Rathbone said something about, he didn't, cause I was asking about rugby and he's like, Oh, mm. I don't watch rugby except all I know is that you always root against the Welsh. I was like, but really? Like that's, that's, that's what we need to know is that. And I understand there's a, 
Jasper Ford, who's one of my favorite UK writers, um, he lives in, he's Welsh, and mm -hmm. all of his books deal with the fact that everybody in Wales is mistreated. Like, he understands who he is, and so that even in some of his books, his fantasy books, like, you don't know what the people in Wales are saying. Like, the British right, people okay. don't know, the English people don't know. Even though they're speaking English, they're like, mm -hmm. I don't know what they're saying. There's, like, this whole running gag that somehow if we just cross over this road, the people are different. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, but like you said, when it's Olympic time, you're all like, yeah. UK, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. But when it's rugby or if it's, you know, World Cup or whatever, you guys are mm -hmm. all different countries, which is so weird. Yeah. But again, it's, Stupid. I think that's this thing. It's like Europe is this big landmass. That's what this mm -hmm. is about, right? Europe is this big landmass. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. And, and we're just going to arbitrarily draw lines, not like a river, not like you guys are an island. So you're like, this is our country. But of course, mm -hmm. just to fuck with people, you're like, yeah. we're going to put part <laughs> of our country on that island over there. Yeah. Just a little bit of Northern Ireland is going to be over there just to fuck with everybody. Uh, cool. That's not come back to bite you guys at all recently. No, 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 never. No, <laughs> recently. I mean, yeah. What, what your classes recently? <laughs> well, I mean, just with the whole, you, can't get, of... you couldn't get Brexit done because... Well, quite, We're going to yeah. build a wall. Because the last thing Northern Ireland needs is another che mm. hard checkpoint. We all, I mean, modern history tells us that's a terrible idea. <laughs> but, so it just, I just think it's funny because there's also the commentary on colonialism and expansionism. Mm. Mm -hmm. And being that they're French and was it like 50% of Africans speak French because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wonder how they took that because mm. the Romans are billed as the bad guys for being colonial mm. and expansionist. And like the Gauls, we're going to protect ourselves. We're French. We're down with the, and you're like, well, mm. <laughs> I mean, the Romans didn't co colonize the rest of the world, the French and the British dead, mm -hmm. you know, they speak French in Vietnam and they speak French in Cameroon. Well, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think it's really smart. I couldn't get over that. And it is funny, like you said, there's theme parks to it. So do they mm -hmm. get it? Like, I don't know any French people. Like, I don't know any French people. Like, I mm -hmm. went to college with a couple of people from France. So there's two people out of millions. So I have no sense of it. Not saying you're going to be my, the whole person who's going to speak for what it's like to know French people. But you probably know more than I do. I mean, is this idea, are they, what I see of them, mm -hmm. this is, again, stereotype, which is playing into it, is they don't have this thick a skin. No, I guess it's the same as anything, isn't it? It's it provides. I, I, I'm going to talk for a whole nation here, of which I have no right to, but I, I assume it's that small sense of national pride, isn't it? It's like it's obviously completely fictional, but um, you know, we we could have had this little pocket that didn't give up, and so yeah, absolutely. I think it's that's what I think ha has become the thing that's so celebrated. I, I think probably the colonialism stuff and the expansion stuff is. We're just going to pretend that's not there. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah, because yeah. they're plucky little heroes. I think so, yes. And because Asterix is diminutive on purpose. Yes, 100%. I got you. Okay. That's what, that's what we're celebrating, I think. So the, the self, the own goal stuff we're going to ignore. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we always do, don't we? That's what we're best at as humans. That's fair. I, I couldn't get over the own goal stuff. I couldn't get over how brutal this is. Mm. I mean, I know you're thinking, like you said, well, it's making fun of the Italians, but is it though? I mean, is it really? I mean, yes, they're dumb in their whole way that they worship mm. Caesar and everything. And I get there's some dumb stuff there, but mm -hmm. it's, I don't see, they're not 
drawn that differently. I mean, there's the no, whole no. thing in the first one where it's like, I'm going to put on a fake mustache and you're not going to know that I'm mm. any, because again, we're all just white dudes is the mm. point. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's a, I think the difference as I, as I read it this time was that the ghouls are naive mm. and the Romans are dumb, but they're all similarly kind of making the, the same error really like you say a fake massage can trick the ghouls and putting on a roman costume can trick the romans even though they've got still got the gorgeous yeah. mustache that line and is hair and... they're going to get in so much trouble for not cut trimming yeah. their mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah that's how i read it and i think that mm. ties back into that kind of plucky hero stuff which i think is what is at the core of the, the not the hero worship but the, but the the, the adventure which these characters go on i think that's what it's what it's tapping into so do, do the french and again i don't know so do the french feel like they're the underdogs of europe i don't i couldn't i don't know either because it definitely comes across that way mm. in this right mm-hmm. and again like it's cultural pride i mean we america likes to pretend we're the underdogs but we're just the bully mm-hmm. we've got the big stick and the mean dog but we're going to pretend we're the underdogs i don't understand why we think that like well, I, don't I mean, get... look, look at us similarly. Like we always cast <laughs> ourselves as perennial underdogs, and we, you know, historically we've had a big stick as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your dog is a little bit nicer. It was a corgi. It wasn't <laughs> as mean. Uh, uh... <laughs> Our corgi's not very nice. I don't know anything about. Well, it. no, I think it was a bulldog for quite a long oh, time. Oh, that is but... true. Yes, the British bulldog. Yeah. Mm. No, you're right. It is absolutely true. And you're like, oh, this little island in over here in the Atlantic, we'll take over India, and you'll be fine with that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly. for, forever. <laughs> Um, until one guy says, we'll simplify it to one guy says, I'm not going to eat until you guys stop being mean. And they're like, okay, that's mm-hmm. history in a nutshell, everybody. That's my, <laughs> that's my totally misinterpretation of what Gandhi did. Some guy said, I'm not going to eat until you stop being mean. It's done. That's it. Yeah. Now you understand Gandhi completely. Um, <laughs> and all of the colon- British colonialism this comes up in that, but I do like, I think you're right. I think there is something there. I, I think they're really, um, holding the mirror up to themselves but right it is really easy to not look at that it's really easy mm-hmm. to just look for the wins and to say these are the things so let's let's talk it, a little bit about the, their power though you mentioned mm-hmm. that asterix's power comes from drinking the potion mm-hmm. and obelisk's power is in eternal mm-hmm. what what what's that why do you suppose that is and why is it that it's only i mean other people get a sip of the magic potion now and again mm-hmm. but why is it that do you think that we only have this one guy who's trusted to, to do it continuously mm. like other than he's popeye but beyond that well i know originally he was designed with by Udezo as as more obelisky wasn't he yeah yeah and yeah. then cosini said no 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 he needs to be small and so again that ties back into that bucket underdog thing doesn't it but I think um, I don't know. It's, why why do these characters keep coming up in you know with you know with George and Lenny? Like I, I'm quite sure Steinbeck wasn't sitting there going, "Oh, I really like Asterix and I like that relationship between the two of them, the taller, stronger, less intelligent." It's a, I guess it's a it's a perennial buddy, to, you know, friendship which we keep seeing used time and time again, don't we? I couldn't tell you why though. Yeah. I, I, the only thing I can think of is that Asterix, as you said, when you were describing him, he's supposed to be a little smarter. Mm-hmm. He obviously is smarter than Obelisk, but he's supposed to be smarter than everyone. So it's almost as though for, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like yeah. there's a, he's, he can handle taking a sip from the magic potion now and again, because he mm-hmm. knows not to abuse it. And he knows he, 
what makes him heroic is he doesn't become drunk with power. There's mm. a few times in these first three books where he solves the problem with his mind mm. when he's out of juice or he couldn't, there was one where he's chained up and he couldn't get to it. Mm-hmm. And he convinces, so he like outsmarts people. He like outwits them as, as well. So, so maybe that's it. It's just such a weird choice that it's um, arbitrary. You know, he's, he's not Shazam, you know, mm-hmm. he's not Captain Marvel where he just has to say a word and becomes powerful. And the rest of the time he's vulnerable. It's that, but I mean, there is that, that's the one thing about Captain Marvel and Billy Batson is that if, if you get tape on Billy's mouth, you can win. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he's got a weakness. And so Asterix's weaknesses is, is that his power wears off and that the rest of the time he's a little guy. Yeah, it is. It's handy to have a guy like Oblix around who can uh, be strong all the time. Constantly carrying giant rocks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not to spoil because now you're going to read on, but I mean, yeah. it's not like within the village, the potion is widely used when it's necessary. So it's not like it's only ever brewed for, for Asterix. It is something which they're all aware of and they all imbue with when 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 they need to um so so but I suppose from what we've seen so far we've yeah. only really seen asterix as, as the but i guess he's earned this role as kind of the the camp protector right right he's been chosen he's been and i think that's interesting that the that the druid they still have this and again it's 50 so of course it's not like democracy exists yet so there's mm-hmm. still this idea that we trust our religious leaders Mm-hmm. To, to be in charge of us and we we listen to them um we do whatever they say like on the second one where they go to get the sickle back when his sickle mm. gets stolen they really lean into we're going to do whatever he tells us even mm-hmm. even asterix who has proven to this point to be wily and cunning and smart he still has faith mm. and so there's there's that to me they're you know and the, and the it's a sympathetic relationship though isn't it because they need his potion to ensure they don't get invaded and become. So you, uh, perhaps there is some of that, which there's that trust, but also there's, there is a need. There's a need sure. for, for him to get his own way because he'll keep making them the potion. And he needs them to protect him from potentially, you know, kind of the, what, what would happen if, if, if that village does eventually get invaded and get taken over too. So, yeah, I, I, t- I get what you're saying. I think, it's, it's all of those things all together. I think these guys were really smart. The writer and, they, the writer and yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they had a lot to say and they did it, as you said, in a subversive way, in a satirical way. That means you can read this as a, an adventure and a romp, which I would have done when I was 10. Oh, I look at him, Biff Baff-Boff, you know, Batman-style captions as they're getting into fights with Romans. And there's no jeopardy, really, because they've got this patience. You know they're going to win. So again, as a 10-year-old, that's, that, that's quite appealing. But then there is that stuff underneath about representation and about borders. And yeah, I, th- I think they're very clever guys. I do too. And I, 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 again, I just am shocked. I hadn't heard of it before because it just seems like this would be something some, well, and it may be, it comes back to the high art versus low art, the conversation mm-hmm. we've had. Um, and that could be it. This is really smart. It's smarter than a lot of other stuff I've ever read. Um, and it's, it, 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 uh, Renee trusts Albert a lot. I mean, there's mm. a lot of words, but it's not mm-hmm. super. And generally when there's lots of words, it's actually done farcically. Like that's one of the fun, like the lots of the words, there's one scene where they show the, um, as they're walking away in the goss where there's like nine, it's uh, a nine panel. Yeah. 
that is hysterical. It's like, here's what happens then. And then here's what happens then. This whole commentary <laughs> on like how you keep fighting with each other over stupid, arbitrary bullshit. They started like a civil war, hadn't they, in order to distract them? Yeah. It's so funny. And not that civil war is funny, everybody. I'm sorry. Um, but this is hysterical because that's the comment. It's like, what? <laughs> everybody's yeah. so stupid. Everybody's so stupid. And these Gauls, they have the gall to just walk away from it all. And that's the thing. They're not trying to win back France from no. Rome. They just want to be left alone. Which it is arguably they could. Without a doubt, they could. <laughs> just the two of them could. And especially if if everybody in the village took some of the potion, they could, without mm-hmm. a doubt, they could just take back over and they could be emperors. Mm-hmm. But they don't want that. There's this idea of separatism and acceptance, both at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's this Robert Frosty and good fences make good neighbors kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, in fact, there's a, there's a comment, isn't there? Because when you often see the Romans, there is that sense of um, not infighting. That's not the right word, but like the the ambition of these lower down generals of trying to rise up to become Caesar as well. And you kind of, if it was live action, you'd get probably a look to camera, or you'd get like, like asterisks doing like a like check out yeah. these guys kind of motion. Um, there's definitely a critique from the characters of what is going on around them. They just don't want to be involved in that. As you said, it's like a separatist thing. Leave them to it. They're going to muck it up, but it's all going to turn out fine. We'll just keep stick to ourselves and let this run its course idea, isn't it? Yeah. And is that, so the commentary is that that's the right thing to do. Or is the commentary, it's like historically speaking, and here's the Mm. thing that pisses me off again, people don't, not understanding their history is in my country. Um, a lot of people are stupid and they've never read a book. And part of the problem is, is that when we teach American history, obviously it's American centric, but also we cut stuff out. And in the current running um, commentary on the way to teach history is we're going to cut out all the stuff where we acknowledge slavery is bad, mm-hmm. but because that might make white people feel bad. So we can't mention slavery is bad. It's absurd. But before we got to that stupid shit, growing up for me, when I was in school, you didn't really learn about how important France was to America mm-hmm. being America. It was mm-hmm. always like uh, Jefferson and Franklin were in France, and that was important for some reason. But we're not going to talk about that. America. You got a big like, statue, haven't you? That came from France. What's that? Got a big statue, haven't you? Quite a quite a I don't know symbol what you're talking about. No, that, I don't know what oh, you're okay. saying. No, that's not true. <laughs> that, but see, you see, that's the whole problem is that mm-hmm. we have this weird, like, we don't win the war the um uh, the revolution without france's help and without lafayette in particular right lafayette was a fucking rock star over here <laughs> um before davi diggs played him in hamilton he was a rock star and then for like 200 years nobody knew about him and then davi diggs played him in hamilton and they're like dude dude can rap <laughs> and you're like who's that lafayette guy he seems pretty cool and then people are like oh france helped us win we didn't know <laughs> and that's how america sees it is france <laughs> helped us win I have heard out of mouths of human beings, adult people in my lifetime who called the French those rifle droppers Okay. <laughs> in relationship to the way things went during World War II. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. I remember the whole freedom fries thing as well. Yes. Well, right yeah. after they wouldn't get behind us when we wanted to invade Iraq. Mm-hmm. They were with us with Afghanistan. But then, yeah, we're going to change it to freedom fries. And you're like, that's not even French, you idiots. Yes. <laughs> and freedom toast instead of French toast. And it's just like we're so stupid. And so America has this twisted view of how we are not a country without France. And so mm. I, I, I say all that to say 
there, I think that, I mean, this, he's writing this in the fifties and sixties. So this is mm -hmm. a post, this is a cold war book, mm -hmm. right? So there's this idea about how are we all grappling with the end of world war II, right? How are we remerge? How are we merging as a European continent? How are mm -hmm. we merging as a world? Where is France's place in that too? Because again, the world sees us as rifle droppers. Everybody forgets that we did all these things that helped the mm. world be what it is. We were big colonialist assholes too, damn it. <laughs> um, we weren't always pushovers and they weren't pushovers. I mean, I, I, I mean, England was almost rifle droppers, right? You can say what right, you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all comes down to leadership. It comes down mm -hmm. to the abdication of the throne and it comes down to Churchill. I mean, you guys were two weeks away from just giving up on Poland. You know, it's all leadership. So mm -hmm. I think that's there. And I think your your point, sorry, the long-winded way to go back to this is that is what this is. It's like, do we just, are we safe in our own village and keep our status quo or do we push back? And I think the readers can read this and be like, wait, you guys, as you said, they could just take all of France back in a week if they wanted to, mm -hmm. but they're choosing not to. So is that the right thing? What is the right thing to do? It's a greater good for the greater number. And who are the greater number? It's a greater good for the world if the Gauls get the Romans out of France. Mm -hmm. It's a greater good for all of France and all of Europe. But it's not a greater good for the Gauls, mm. right? So it's like this idea of selfishness and selflessness that's mm. on in commentary in the silly children's comic. But I, <laughs> I quit thinking about all of the historical implications. And like you just said, when you said it, like these guys are so smart. They are so smart. Mm. I really loved the historical context and commentary. And at the time, and it it's, but that's the thing I was saying to Lee. So I never read this, but it's also could have just been written last week. Oh uh, yeah, some of it. There's a commentary when they first get to, is it Luisia and they're talking about the pollution there. And yeah, the yeah. It's different. And the guy's fishing. He's like, there's no fish here. It's just pots. Everyone's throwing their pots in the, uh, like, amazing. This is, as you said, the early 60s. And yeah. And the dog who cries when they cut down trees. Yeah. It's pr so prevalent now. It's amazing. Uh, insane. Yeah. I know. So it's like, I, so did it, it, does it matter? All of that to say is, does it change anybody's, is this out to change hearts and minds or is it just there for the people who want to see it? And then what's better? Is it better to be overt? Mm. This is our running conversation, my friend. Is it text or subtext? This mm. is both. What's better? Is it more important to do the subtle, fun, clever subtext that we're talking about? Or would it have been more important that they push their agenda a little harder? No, I don't think. I think that's there to, to find. And I think you've just verbalized that amazingly about how it could be read and potentially what their intention was in writing it considering all the historical context of it but i think if you push it it it, it detracts from the text surface story doesn't it and i think it often the the stuff which has the biggest impact is delivered in the subtlest ways and it's, you know, and if it's too subtle for people to pick up and maybe that they're not the people who are looking for that message or they don't want to see the message or they wouldn't get the message or they're not. So, yeah, I, I think the balance here is great. And I, I, don't think, I really do think, and we talk about this a lot too, don't we, you know, music and books and films and comics and how you read them when you read them in your own sense of the world. And I tried to verbalize that slightly at the start. 
you get something totally different from it. And reading totally it now true. in my early forties, this is completely yeah. different to reading it when I was ten. And but clearly, you, I wasn't be... picking up on that historical context. Well, well, and you point. shouldn't be. I think that's brilliant, though. <laughs> I, I and you did. You verbalized it perfectly because I think that's true. I just wish I wish you could remember, and we can't. Because no. we're not, we're too old. But it wouldn't it be cool? I don't have a photographic memory, sadly. No, I, well, the one person I know who has a photographic memory, one of my students who has on the spectrum, he said it was a nightmare. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, I think it's a superpower, but he hated it. He hated mm. having a photographic memory. And he was, he, it really upset him. It really was hard. So I know, but Some you're things also you like, want to forget, right? Right. Exactly. Especially when you're on the spectrum and people have made fun of you in your life. You don't mm -hmm. want to remember being mm -hmm. bullied. You'd like to forget, but he couldn't. Um, so, yeah. But I mean, you're also like still, even though knowing that you're like, yeah, well, it would be cool to remember. Mm -hmm. But it would be cool in this instance to be like, what did I feel like when I was 10 when I read this the first mm -hmm. time? And what was the conversation I had with my grandpa? Because he's the one who gave it to you. So you could mm -hmm. turn to him and be like, oh, my God, that was funny. And what his engagement with you was. And he was he like, ha ha, got him. Mm -hmm. Or mm. was he like, oh, great. You know, I, I just, because I'm sure when you give it to your son, you're not going to say like, hey, pal, <laughs> think about the historical context of this being a post-World post War II Cold War book. Think about that. You'll be like, isn't this funny? Look at him. Look at his mustache. Mm. Look at, isn't it funny that Obelix just wears pants? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I think has changed, I mean, that is true. What I think has changed, though, <laughs> is that... Um, he would pick on um, like maybe the pollution stuff. He would pick, he would, he would get that. Oh yeah, that sure. Now. That's interesting. That would be quite interesting to see. I wouldn't have to point him towards that, but no, the heavy, heavy history stuff. I mean, I'm not sure we're any better at how we teach our history here. If I'm honest, than you are, we're certainly, you know, quite happy to hide away the things that we're not very proud of from our past too. So I think, um, yeah, I I'm not sure he's getting taught that in his yeah. year five, history lesson he has once a month either yeah that's i don't and i don't know if that's okay or not like i understand the whole let kids be kids but also like in america the whole i always call it the happy days version because there was literally and you know my feeling on happy days but there was there was literally <laughs> a happy days episode that was a retelling of the thanksgiving myth where Fonz was the um Pilgrim and the Cunninghams were the Native Americans. And at the end, guess what happened? He said, A. <laughs> or I don't remember. It was maybe he was the Native. And the, I don't remember. Either way, it was like the, the perpetuation of the Thanksgiving myth in America is so incredibly frustrating. And I always told my kids it was bullshit. And my, mm -hmm. you know, people in my sphere were like, don't do that. Like, but right, I don't yeah, want yeah, them yeah. to be stupid. Like, I don't want them. Because if you tell them for 15 years, this is the way that it was, mm -hmm. and now they're 16 and they're in history class and they're finally learning, you were lied to your whole life. It's going to be hard to unring the bell. Mm -hmm. They're going to just choose to say like, I'm not going to remember that. Or So that is the question too, is like, it is funny and subversive and smart, but it's also just silly. The fact that Obelisk mm -hmm. doesn't wear a shirt because he's so big. The commentary is he can't fit in a shirt. Mm -hmm. He's so obscenely large that the only thing he can wear is like this big, like upside down parachute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a big it comes diaper. up under his armpit. Yeah. So. It's so funny. It's such a great visual. And I love it. I love his, I love how he looks. I love his facial expressions. There's so many silly, silly, silly beard pulling fart jokes in this. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing. So what's better? Just let kids be kids and let them see that or have that conversation with them. I don't know the answer. 
No, he's right. But I think this is ties into something I said, and I was thinking before we started, and I said at the start, in terms of like where it may have driven some of my humor later on. Yeah. Like reading it now, it gave me like a Python-esque sense. Mm. And they do really silly, stupid humor, but they also make Life of Brian, which is really clever and really has a lot to say about the world, as well as having really stupid gags. So I think I think if you get that balance right, you're going to, you're going to educate and inform without people realizing they're getting it. I mean, again, I watched Life of Brian way too young and I thought it was funny because it had crazy stuff in it and it had people repeating catchphrases in it. Front. That exactly. whole bit yeah, is yeah. hysterical. Yeah. It's only as you get older and you understand a bit more about the world and you then they, suddenly it means something different and it's still just as funny. So I think it's fine. You know, that is it, man. You nailed it. It's the re-readability, re-watchability of when it's good. If mm-hmm. something is just fine, you never watch it again. You never read yeah. it again. You never engage with it again. You and I are going to go on Tanya's show this fall, right, and talk about 1984, a book mm-hmm. I've read. I've read it the first time in 1984 when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And every other year probably since. Sometimes I'll read it twice a year. But I've read it at least... 40 times. You know, I mean, I love that. Mm. And um, I'll read it, darn, I'll read it again before we <laughs> talk. But, it'd be, but it's because there's layers. Like in, mm. when you're 11, you're like, oh my God, that's awful. And mm. then for whatever, like Room 101, as you mentioned in one of your reviews, you sent something to your personal Room 101. Love that, by the way. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, but then when you're an adult, you're like, oh shit, Winston was right. The, the trolls are the only hope but nobody's listening. And you're like, mm. oh shit, but when you're 11 or 12 or 15, you don't get it. So I think that's the thing about Asterix is that mm. it's obviously super rereadable. I'm coming at it for the first time. You're coming at it for a second time and it means something different to you, but you have that nostalgic thing. So I think you're totally right is what they did. And that's just like we talked about with Calvin and Hobbes or even Peanuts, mm. whatever, fill in the blank thing of thing that you've read too many times. Like there are plenty of just okay Batman stories that I don't need to read again. There's a reason everybody goes back and rereads Long Halloween or rereads mm-hmm. The Killing Joke or rereads Dark Knight Returns because it's not just Batman punches bad guy. Mm. Right. I mean, you know, like your Frank Miller uh, Wolverine run mm-hmm. is not just Wolverine goes to Japan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just it's that. And the first time you read it, when you got it from your brother's box, yeah, yeah. it was just that you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you're right. And, and of course, Frank Miller is nothing if not. I mean, sometimes the text is just text. <laughs> yes. <laughs> more and more, the text is just text. As he's aged, he has gotten mm. less subtle, we'll say. But that early, I mean, that that and Born Again and Dark Knight, mm. I mean, that's like him at the top of this game mm-hmm. where it's like 18 layers. Um, so I think you're right. I think I think that's what makes this so brilliant, though. I will be fascinated to hear when when your son reads it, what he thinks and mm. how that conversation goes and what he what he says about it, um, because I think he's going to laugh his ass off. Mm. Agreed. I think it's so fun. The jokes hold up. Why is that? What are they doing? Why are the so let's go back to that. You're the film guy. You understand mm. how to tell a joke. You understand how to mm. write a script. So why do the jokes work? Tell everybody, be our, be our comedy expert. Why do the jokes work so well in here? Because I think, again, it's, it's a combination, isn't it, of um, what I think it does so well, and you mentioned, like, there's not always, 
but sometimes it's a bit of writing, but it's not always too heavy. But it's a combination of everything again. And I think it's the trust and it's the shorthand the two creators have between them. Is that the sometimes it's a visual gag. It'll be that they've given the potion to the Romans and they're growing long beards and long hair. That's and in the so background, <laughs> a dog's licked their spilled potion and he runs off and he's a big puffball. Sometimes it'll be something like that. It'll be something visual that you can see from the first layer of what's happening to Romans, but also from a secondary layer, if you've got like in the background of a panel and see the little dog and what's going on, it's like a story within a story going on there. And other times, like I say, it will be a pantomime name that's front and center that, is, that will just Names make you laugh. Are great. Yeah. Christmas bonus is the, it's the <laughs> so first good. Roman general we meet. I mean, amazing. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. So oh. I, I think... You know, we're going to just keep coming back to the two creators. I think it's it's the it's the combination of the two of them just working perfectly in sync of knowing when it needs to be a written joke or when it needs to be a visual joke. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Udarzo's Udarzo's mm. art. Here's the thing: I've seen this. Mine's obviously the digital copy, mm. and so I'm curious to know because you've got the printed copies. These are so fucking vibrant, and there's this idea mm. of. Um, and I'm just was telling you this book I'm I'm reading now about um, a guy who's you know trying to recapture his whole uh, vo- d- record collection, mm. and there's the commentary on like CDs, the wax, the whatever M- MP3s, and what sounds better. And I really do think a lot of it comes down to speakers. I, that's mm-hmm. never addressed. It's like it just sounds better on wax. But what if your speakers are sucky? <laughs> Like, what if you have crappy headphones? Then I listen. If you have really good headphones and you listen to like Magical Mystery Tour, it's a totally different sound than if you're listening to it just out of crappy tinny speakers. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but regardless of that, I bring all that up is to say these were so these images were outstandingly sharp and vibrant. Mm-hmm. He was clearly drawing them longhand. These were not digital drawings. Um. How do they hold up on print? Because I couldn't get over, like, I got lost in some of them, like how mm. sharp they look and how um, just the, 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 the attention to detail he spent to the jokes, but just also to the framing of each, mm. of each shot was really great. So I was just curious, how do they look to you on the printed page? Or is it just because I'm reading them and I can adjust the background light? I imagine, I imagine what you're saying is true. Like the sharpness probably is like, I'd love to see that as well see how how they've cleaned that up a little bit i suppose but yeah i think i can see why there's been so many films so many adaptations made of it it's a bit like some of the mark miller stuff this is literal storyboards you don't have to do anything let's just put the camera exactly where um you know steve mcniven for instance has drawn it for for old man legan you know mm-hmm. that you don't need to do anything so i think in terms of the framing, I completely agree with you. And in terms of the colouring, I think it's fantastic. There's a particular sequence, I think, in um, The Golden Sickle where um, they've made their way to like the hiding place of where, where, where they've been keeping all the sickles and they're waiting for the, for the thieves to come back. Um, and then it went, it went from day to night to day again. And that bit really stood out to me in the reading just in terms of how he managed to convey the passing of time was brilliant and, and the transition into the um the silhouettes at night time were beautiful and then the sunrise the next day so i think again he's got a level of skill which is like i can draw the 
onomatopoeia and the biff baff boffs and the punch ups, which feel kinetic and feel exciting. I can draw people standing around talking in rooms or in fields and perhaps there that's where he's letting the word bubbles and letting the, the dialogue do the work. But then when he needs to drop a, a, a jaw-dropping image, when he needs to drop something which wows you visually, he can do that too. So, I It's amazing. All true witness. I echo all of that. Because he's considered, there's these people who consider themselves cartoonists, mm. and he would be one. I would say, uh, but see that I don't see that as a derogatory term. I don't, so I don't, yeah, I don't either. It's not a pejorative, no. but it is to some people. They hear cartoonists, and they're like, wow. Yeah. But fucking don't look like real, hard. Yeah, they don't look like they don't look like real people, do they? Other than Caesar, which I think is a really interesting choice. Oh, that is brilliant. What a great juxtaposition. Mm. And the Romans in general look way more people-y mm, Caesar true. in particular. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would I would agree. He is a cartoonist, but um it, but he makes the, the the characters come alive. We said that right back at the start, so it's just gonna oh. you know, come back to that. Um yeah, I have no issue with it being cartoony. I don't either. And even like, so this is just in the very first issue, there's the one where, where Obelisk and Asterix are going off on their first journey. Mm. And just the way that I'm just going to hold it up for you. Mm. So there's a panel where the druid is in the back and he's, he's literally wringing his hands. And the way that, that he's drawn Asterix's sword is on the upswing. Mm-hmm. You can tell he's like jaunty mm. walking and um, Obelisk has got his hands down, like his head is forward. So it's like he's got that one. Pan- many are carrying. Body right. But he's not there, carrying yeah. anything, but you can tell he's used to it. It's mm. in one panel, you know, everything you need to know about these characters. One character's not even talking, but like the fact that in the background over here, the Druid, like he's watching them go, but he's literally standing behind a gate. Like he's afraid to cross that border himself. Mm. I'm like, here goes our heroes. Here goes Don Quixote and his, you know, and, and that's, I got a Don Quixote vibe. too. <laughs> and I think it all comes back to Don Quixote. I think George and Lenny comes back to Don Quixote too. And it depends on how you look at it. Like, cause Don Quixote's the mad one. Mm-hmm. Right. But who's more mad, the person who follows him. So who's, who's the person with the mental problem, Lenny or George? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right who is it the person who doesn't know he's got a problem or is it the person who knows what's going on but allows it to happen anyway mm. you know so it's like there's that I, but i love that it, like that image it's just a simple thing but mm-hmm. it's so well done the coloring like you said there's a path drawn in the background so, so you could be like okay there's roads which means they must have vehicles such such attention and it is cartoony and you just you could look at it and be like oh that's just a silly cartoon mm. but like the 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 way that it's done and as you said just shoot it just you could shoot that oh, yeah. scene he's moving you don't need the little motion lines because he tells you everything that's happening it's i don't know how they did it as with the regularity that they did well, for yeah, as long so as they did one one a year if not a couple of years wasn't it for it's, yeah a couple yeah. of decades yeah because you got to keep all that in balance and you need to make them look the same and they need to move the same and they need to have the same facial expressions because they don't mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful art. And I can't, and again, you know, I feel like it's always a, people say cartoonist. Listen, let's just quit pretending anybody's Alex Ross besides Alex Ross and let's move mm-hmm. on. Like we've covered an Alex Ross book and it's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there's something about doing it in a different way you wouldn't look at these people and not think they're people. And I think, like you said, the way that Caesar is so human looking, it's almost jarring. It is, how yeah. different he is. But that's, mm-hmm. 
without like i'll be interested to see what your son says if he'll catch that be like whoa Mm. because he just looks like a person but he seems out of place Mm. it's so smart i just can't (laughs) get over how i mean smart is the word of the day show smart it is yeah it is i guess i don't it's not a style that i can i can place it makes me think of you know cartoons i would have watched at the time but i was trying to think as you were talking then if there's a particular cartoon because we were using that phrase i could equate it to and I can't, but, you know, of an age when I'm watching those, I'm not thinking of those as being animated characters. I'm watching a cartoon thinking they're people that I'm watching going, going on a story. So, I don't know, maybe something like Dog Tanyon. I don't know if you've got Dog Tanyon in No, but I love, it's about the Three Musketeers, obviously, but a dog. Yeah, I but, don't know what but, that is, but, but I want that now. They're all, yeah, they're all dogs. Um, it's amazing. It's absolutely I amazing. love that. I need that um, now. I'm going to write it down. And you kind of don't even think about the fact that they're dogs, let alone cartoon dogs. They're just <laughs> characters on a story. So maybe, you know, something along those kind of lines. But yeah, it doesn't matter how cartoony he could push it, I suppose. I'm I'm all in with the characters. And I, I think that too. initial page where they describe who who they are and their kind of role helps in that first issue. To You get like an immediate handle. And I love the fact that Cacophonics gets an important description because he's in each issue for about two panels i'll write a song i'll i'll sing a verse and they all hate him so i don't know why he needs a character description because there's plenty of other characters who appear much more than he does but i love it well and and that is pretty interesting that the storyteller so at the time the bard is the storyteller right Mm. he's the one that's what the and so there's when the and the golden sickle one they're like, where would you like to sit? And he's like, as far from the bards as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so obviously Asterix and the bards. So again, it, without it, it doesn't explain why. I just feel like Asterix as this hero, this goes back to the historical misrepresentation thing for me, mm-hmm. is we all know that like Shakespearean, his, like Richard III is not how it really went down, right? Hotspur and Hamlet in real life, if they were, if Hamlet were real, which people, Hotspur was definitely real. They didn't know, they, Hotspur was like, would have been 50 years older than Hamlet. Like they weren't really <laughs> rivals. Like if the age is right, then he could, but you know, it's historically inaccurate. You know, these things, Lear's story didn't happen that way, but he labels those as histories, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So we know the Oedipus Rex story because of the poem that, so I almost feel like Asterix doesn't like the Bards because the Bards version of events is maybe not accurate. Mm, it's not commented upon, mm-hmm. but I feel like that as the, as the hero mm-hmm. who has to sit around and hear his story being sung mm. incorrectly, that would piss you off. Like if somebody mm. says your name wrong every time they see you, you would get pissed after a while. Mm. That's yeah, that is interesting. I've never even thought of it in that, in that level as well. Because again, reading the goss this time, there were a couple of literary references I would never have got as a, as a kid. Right. It felt, it felt like it was referencing Tennyson at a certain point because the character says "ours not to reason why," um, and there's a Macbeth witch's gag in there. I'm just looking yeah. at my notes here. Oh, and they do like a Grand Old Duke of York, don't they? When the soldiers are marching. So. Um, I wonder if that ties in as well, this sense of like, we're going to, you know, this is issue three, if you like, or volume yeah. three right now. They're starting to get a bit more playful and perhaps a bit more confident with what they can get away with doing. But um, particularly the Tennyson reference, I think ties in with what you're saying there, this sense of dutifulness and the truth and 
following orders and right and wrong. And yeah, interesting. And I don't know. I, I just don't know the answer. I mean, you know, we all want to write our own history, but we don't. Mm. Right. We don't write our own history. There's that one guy. I don't know his name. He's some Swedish guy or Finnish guy who's like written his own life every day, like in graphic detail. Oh, wow. Um, Knausgaard, is that his name? I can't I think can, of his name. I can tell you right now. I would yeah. Not and actually, I believe he's that. even called the, the series My Struggle, which is like, dude, read the room. Nobody <laughs> should ever name your book series that. Um, but because right, historically, that they're just like that man's name, we don't use it anymore. Nobody's named Adolf anymore. And you don't right. name your book My Struggle. I'm sorry. You just, <laughs> but if I remember right, the guys, and I've not read this, but it's like a, and whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's fiction, but it's like written from the perspective of painstaking detail to each moment of every day. Oh. Yeah. Right. You've made the right sound. And people get into it and love it and think it's deep. It's just, it's a gag. And mm -hmm. even that to me, unless this is part of the social commentary that this, these books are supposed to make, mm. even that can't totally be real because it's still, you're an unreliable net. We're all unreliable narrators. Mm. We're all telling our own story. So that's the commentary there too. To me, it's like Asterix maybe doesn't want his story mm. told by the bard, but you can't be trusted to tell it exactly the right way because your way is only your way. Two people mm. can have the exact same experience and then come back with like, we could both, you and I don't agree on every movie or book or, com you know, it's like we've read the exact same words, have totally different experiences. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the poet's job is to preserve history, but it's also to do it in an entertaining way mm. as opposed to a fact-based way. And if you're Asterix, who seems to be like a no-nonsense, like he's mm. not silly. No, he's, he's the not. least silly character. Yeah, he's a straight man, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, why he wouldn't like the guy. He's the guy mm. who's like, I don't listen to music. I'm like, what? He's that guy. You know, so I don't know. That's just how I felt like because the bard mm. definitely takes it out of chin. But it's also really interesting to have the bard tell your story while you're still alive. Mm. Normally he gets bonked on the head. But yeah, <laughs> he gets tied up at the end of one of the final <laughs> scene. It's like, where's the bard? And he's in the jail cell all tied up. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely does not like the bards. No. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we are both writers and storytellers, so, uh, but we write fiction. So I guess. Yeah, I can tell you, I'm not going to painstakingly write about my day to day life. It would be hideously dull, as I imagine those books are. That feels like one of those one note jokes that might be on Saturday Night Live that's funny. And then they try and make a movie out of it. And you're like, ooh, that was funny for a minute. Yeah. Well, what I learned, because I watch, we still watch a lot of Saturday Night Live, is that 90% of Saturday Night Live is bad. Mm. And most of the skits go on too long. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like there are one note jokes that go six minutes when they should have stopped at three. Mm -hmm. So it definitely doesn't work when you turn it into 90. Uh, no. <laughs> right. The ones that work, Wayne's World, you know, because there's a story, mm -hmm. there's something else you can do there. But like Night at the Roxbury could never be a movie, but they was somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I don't know. It's really fun. I am so glad you picked it because I would Good. never have heard of it. And now you've got Dog Tanyan too. Oh, Dog Tanyan. Is it spelled like with the apostrophe? Like D'Artagnan? No, like, like the word dog and then the rest of... Well, yeah, D-O-G-T-A-N-I-A-N, I think. Okay, okay. Nice. I can't wait. Is Dog Tanyan like a wiener dog? What is Dog Tanyan? Does he have big ears? I yeah, can't wait look, to see. He's what, like white, 
yellowish white with long brown ears. Is it beagle? Maybe. Oh, nice. I, I, I can't know, wait. I don't, I don't know dog types. That's fine. Because dogs. Also, he's a cartoon. He's also a cartoon. So is it live action <laughs> or is it a comic book? No, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a cartoon, not a, yeah. not a comic. Nice. Yeah. Live action, I said, as though there's dog. T- Although, you know, Uncanny Valley, creepy shit. I'm sure somebody would probably try to make one. The, well, there was a CGI movie last year, I think, which I haven't watched. About dog um, Yeah, yeah. Like a new, new, ta- new take on it. But the, the original cartoon was, I think, French made again. We got quite a lot of like French made cartoons, which were then translated here for us. Well, cartoons um, are the easiest to do, right? Of course they are. Yeah, yeah. But that yeah. was a massive hit. Around, well, I um, love the I love the idea, Dog Tanyan. I mean, I'm a I'm like I like Dumas in general. Although he does talk about a guy who might want to describe a blade of grass for too long. <laughs> Let's wrap this shit up, man. I mean, the the man in the iron mask. You really feel like you're in there with him, right? That that. Anyway, well, that was this is awesome. So you've got notes. I feel like did we get to the, the all this stuff? I think we did. Yeah, yeah, nice. we did. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I think we've talked about the commentary and then about the. I'm glad we got to talk about Odeazo and his his art because I think that's important. Oh, it's so good. God, it's amazing work. I just think it's really great. I'm just so glad I read it and I had no idea. And so thanks to Paper Cuts and Hoopla Digital, the unofficial sponsor mm-hmm. of the Comic Spotlight. Um, for- it definitely feels like it's building, doesn't it? Like, oh. I think each each one gets better. And I appreciate that because you can go the other way. I mean, I definitely think when you rewatch The Simpsons, and I've not, to be fair, I've not read, watched all 36, 35 seasons of The Simpsons, but I've seen quite a few Simpsons. To say I've seen hundreds of episodes of something and not have seen them all is saying mm. something, but mm. it did that. It definitely, like those first few, first few seasons weren't great. I mean, they were, they were one note too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I actually read in a book recently, um, the How to Be Good book, Michael Short. They actually, the, he talks to The Simpsons writers and they said, as they moved homer into a dumber place from being just like a grumpy mean dad to like dumb once they made homer dumb the rest of the show in perpetuity is how dumb they can make homer Mm. because once you move there you can't go back Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can't just go back to being why you little he's got to be a stupid boob but i think that's better writing once they made those decisions that they realize marge is the straight man Mm -hmm. because at first lisa was the straight man and that didn't work, you know, and so it's like, it is funny. You do grow. And like you said, Asterix, though, is the straight man in his own comic and they don't move from that. But by by letting the other characters develop and meeting these other people. And I think it'll be fun to see what other adventures. The reason I think the Goss is the best one of the first three is because it built on. We understand we built the world. We've seen mm-hmm. them go on one adventure. Well, let's have them go a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And let's, you know, let's, because you see the map of Europe every time. So you're like, we've mm. got all this place, like we can go anywhere. And like you said, that they go to England eventually, or the English come. I can't, I think that, I can't remember. I think they go to England though, because they're, they're at the top north of that, of that um, Gaulish area of France anyway, aren't they? So they're not too yeah, far yeah. away. It's a little jump nice. over. I can't wait. I can't wait to see all that. That's just so fun. So I just, I appreciate this. I've, I've enjoyed it more than, um, I would have, I mean, again, I, I trusted you, but I was like, okay, I don't know what this is. Yes, let's read it. And then I started reading. I was like, man, this is way more fun than it should be. Mm-hmm. It's Good. really smart. And that's my favorite thing is finishing it. Because I think a lot of my thoughts after I'm done, like in the mm. moment, I'm like, oh, that was funny. Or like, oh, zoom in and look at that. What's that background joke? Because clearly there's background jokes. Mm. And the setup with the hair potion, 
Mm. That was a way that that worked. I mean, at the end, it ended up as what Frank because he trips on his own beard. I'm like, what mm-hmm. a setup for like you knew what you were doing. It's like such well constructed storytelling. And so, yeah, this was a delight. So who's it for? I mean, obviously for everybody, right? All ages. Yeah, absolutely. I think kids who like that kind of cartoony sense of humor and the silliness, but then I think an adult who wants to see something a bit subversive and a bit satirical and uh, get something a bit deeper from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause satire is my favorite form of comedy and that's this, but because a good satire is silly while mm-hmm. being satirical. It's not just, I was like, you know, Scott and I've talked and you know, you Scott says this all the time. Dread is a satire, but it's not a comedy. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But I think the comedies that last are the satirical comedies. Like we're going to tell a joke, but we're also going to do something else. And then there can just be, you know, dark satire is also thing. But this is a lighthearted comedy and it's a dark comedy and it's a social commentary satire all wrapped into this silly guy with pigtails and a beard or a mustache. <laughs> it's it's yeah. crazy. And again, there's a lot of Popeye in him. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, um, like, like you said, George and Lenny and Don Quixote. And it's just a, and Tintin. I mean, there's some Tintin, mm. there's a lot of Tintin. And the fact that this premiered in Tintin magazines doesn't surprise me at all. Mm. I mean, Tintin has a dog. He does. Yeah, so, you know, Tintin isn't the dog, everybody. No, they build people in that, don't they? Yeah, they do because, end up having a dog sidekick in this too. Oh. Little spoiler for you there. That's well, right, because really the dog who barks when the trees fall down. They tell us about him. So, yeah, he, yeah. But he becomes like a mainstay of the, the That's series. Fair. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I mean, sometimes... Having a dog in a writing, I know that's shorthand. If you have a, have a character with a pet, it tells you something about their personality. Mm-hmm. But honestly, in an adventure story, having a dog with you, really, you don't need do sex machinas when you have a dog. No, you need, no, no. You don't need do sex machinas. You need dogmatics. Dogmatics. <laughs> oh, I love the naming, the suffixes are so brilliant. <laughs> God, it's so great. Well, this was fun. So yes, everyone who sh- should, who, everyone who's anyone should read this. So if everybody wants to come to you and say like, I can't believe you picked that book. I, I missed it. Or I can't believe you picked that book. It sucked. How would they tell you that? They, they wouldn't tell me it sucked because. Oh, because they would be wrong. Well, no, they wouldn't be wrong. Just nobody could possibly think that having read it. Could they? <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I'm most easily accessible on Twitter under I am Jack's Musings. That's J-A-C-S. Nice. And you've got other things. You've got stuff going on. I've got stuff going on. Yeah. As you mentioned, I've got Back to the Filmography, which has become my sort of main focus, which I'm enjoying watching all of Jason Statham's movies, even the bad ones, because, you know, it's all part of the journey. Yeah. And so and the- before this comes out, the next your, your next one will be out before this show. So yes. people will have probably maybe the week that this comes out or the week right before they would have heard you and Max talking about something. Yeah. Next one up is Ghosts of Mars, which Oof. is Jason Statham's fourth film. Yeah, that's coming out on the 6th. So I'm not sure when this is due to... Yeah, this will be out a couple weeks later. So this may okay, be out. Yeah. And what's the fifth, Statham? The one. The one. <gasps> oh, I love the one. I have that ready to watch. And I'm then obviously the Italian job. And then the uh no, no, you're quite a bit down there. No, oh, no, I am. Okay. Me, Machine, and Transporter before the Italian job. Oh, wow. Transporter was before the Italian job. Yeah. I wow. Think it's that's... The same, I think it might be the same year. So, oh, okay. Well, I can't wait. I just watched it last night, as you know, mm. because I said to Lee, she was a little sleepy, and I was like, hey, I need to watch the Italian job anyway. She's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we own it. It's one of her favorite movies. She I likes, own it too. She likes I, have to, you know, I, I know cars. Scott does his... Um, his, his originals and remakes, I have to say, for me, 
It's one that holds up pretty well. I've not watched the original. Isn't that Michael Caine in the original? Yeah. 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 There's some parts of that which have not dated well. Really? I, I'm, I think I want to watch it. I mean, Michael Caine oh. has been remade a lot. Alfie. I mean, he, yeah. he just yeah, keeps yeah. remaking Michael Caine movies forever. And it's still, it's still an absolute classic. And Michael Caine is amazing. And obviously, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. And the ending is very famous and influenced Lock Stock, which I've already done. And But um, yeah, Benny Hill's in it. So you can imagine Oof. some of it hasn't dated very well. Okay. Yeah. He is not dated well. Well, that's awesome. So well, I, everybody should go and follow you and follow your links. I'll put them all in here. Thank and you, uh, we've got the new Fringe season three coming out. And um, I'm excited about that. And uh, Pop Gorillas, we're going to do we're going to do summer blockbusters all summer. We're going to do 33 days of summer blockbusters. Mm. So, yeah, the last 30 plus one. Plus uh, two. I think I, I, we have to work that out because I think we should yeah. just all do 11 from the last <laughs> day right, of June right, to the right. first day of August the pop gorillas will be reviewing the number one grossing film from 1989 yes. to last year, 2001. Correct. Yes. It's very exciting. The list is bad in some places. It is. It's like this was the highest we were doing that year. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I'm excited though. This will be fun. So we're going to do that. So do you know the song from, I'm pretty sure it's from um, Footloose. It's a Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero. Do you know that song? I, I do know that. Song. That's what we're going to listen to on the nice. way out. Because all okay. I could, th- I that was my soundtrack in my head as I was watching them go. <laughs> I'm holding out for a hero to the. I just so we're gonna listen to that holding out for a hero. Um, I didn't ask. Sorry, is that okay? That's perfect. That's a I good one. It. Okay, because obviously we're holding out for hero. We the world needs asterisks, and uh, so we will see everybody soon for Fringe, and then we're gonna do some comics sometime. We're gonna do Term Life probably with Chris and Dave sometime this summer. Yeah. Definitely. I'm excited about that. I mean, Chris says he's all in for a movie that has zero yeah. <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm and we excited. need our other, what's our other, our Bruce Willis. Right. We got to find a way for you to watch that. The last Bruce Willis to be original. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. We'll figure that out. So we've and got the, some stuff. We're going to do some crossover yeah. action, hmm. bad action movie stuff. I'm here for that. Very excited. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We're all holding out for Hero. Jack, you're my hero. You're my hero. Oh, I'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Take care.